The following message is from the North Shore Christian Centre MP3 Audio Lounge. More information about North Shore Christian Centre is available at www.nscc.org.au. I love useless trivia. I love obscure facts. I love things that nobody else seems to care about. For some reason, they just stick in my mind. And a few weekends ago, Amanda and I, we were with Craig and Rowena playing a trivia game at their place. And uh, our team was losing badly, like really, really badly. But there was this moment of divine inspiration, I don't know, where I just got all these questions and all my useless information just came to the fore and we basically whipped them. We, we, we just got through and victory was oh so sweet because of yours truly. And so in light of my love for obscure information and obscure facts, I'm going to share some common misconceptions of the Bible. So when you're in a, a trivia competition and one of these questions come up, you can get it right and you can thank me for the answer later. Okay, some common misconceptions of the Bible. The first one is about Samson and Delilah. Now, we often think to ourselves that it was Delilah who cut Samson's hair. But the Bible actually says that she got another man, or we believe it was one of her servants, to cut Samson's hair. First misconception. Second misconception is about the wise men. Many a time we sing Christmas carols and we see Bible stories about there being three wise men. Now, there may have been three wise men, but the Bible doesn't say how many wise men there were. We know there was more than one, but there could have been two, there could have been three. Some people even claim there could have been up to 28, 29, 30 wise men who came by. And so that's a misconception that people seem to have in their heads that there was only three wise men. Similarly, oftentimes we'll see a nativity scene and the wise men are there at the manger. But in, uh, in Matthew chapter 2, it talks about how they entered a house. So this was some time after Jesus had been born. We don't know how long. We believe, obviously, Jesus was still an infant because Herod was killing uh, uh, young boys between uh, birth and age of two. But we know that this is a misconception in the, uh, that people believe that actually isn't in the Bible. Another one is about Noah. How many animals did, did Noah take on the ark? Or more clearly, how many of each kind of animal? The Bible says that he took, uh, he took them in pairs. But of the clean animals and the birds of the air, he actually took seven males and seven females. And it was only the unclean animals that he took one of each, one of each kind. And so there was actually more animals on the, in, on the ark than what we would otherwise normally think of. Okay, ready for the fourth one. The last misconception is this. How many trees did God put in the center of the Garden of Eden? The answer is actually two. Oftentimes, we always think about the tree that Eve ate from, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But the Bible also talks about the tree of life that was also in the center of the Garden of Eden. And this might seem like all fun and games, but actually one of these misconceptions is actually really important, and that's what I'm going to focus on this morning. It's actually really important as it affects the way that we live our Christian lives. You see, there were two trees in the garden, and they represent two different lifestyles. And I want us to explore them today. See, one tree represents a life that's far from God, and one tree represents a life that is close to God's heart. And today I want to encourage you to live a life that is close to God's heart, where we understand the difference between what it means to just live a good life and what it means to live a godly life. My message today is entitled, The Good, 
the bad, and the godly. Not the good, the bad, and the ugly. The good, the bad, and the godly. So if you're writing, if you're taking notes, how about you write that down? And we're just going to commit this message to the Lord. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we're gathered here today under your name. Father, I thank you for this message that you've put on my heart. I pray that you would use me to speak it clearly, Lord, to speak into each of our hearts, including my own. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have free reign over our lives. Lord, that as we open up our hearts, he would do his good work in each of our lives. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Okay, we're going to get our Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. We've got a few verses to read here. We're going to read from verse 8. It says this, And the Lord planted a garden in Eden, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, that is in the middle, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I'm just going to skip down to verse, verse 14. Uh, sorry, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And many of us who have uh, been in church for a while or perhaps been to Sunday school, we'll know this story well. We, call, we refer to this as the fall of man. As we know, um, Adam had a choice. This is the first choice that, that, the first choice that he had to choose between whether he was going to eat from this tree or not. If God didn't allow Adam the freedom to choose, then Adam's obedience would have been hollow. And if God wants the pinnacle of his creation to truly be in relationship with himself, then he must give that creation its own free will. It's as if Adam, if he didn't have the choice to obey God, if he didn't have a choice to be in a relationship with God, then it would have just been hollow. It would have been like a meaningless robotic relationship or merely soulless robots. And it's on the basis of this choice, the choice of which tree, that I want to explore an allegory with you today. And this allegory expresses the tension or the choice of how we can choose to live. You see, you can live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or you can live by the tree of life. And that's the free will choice that we have before us today. And I'm going to explain what that means as we go. But I want to read more of that passage. So if we return back to Genesis, we're going to just go to the next chapter in Genesis chapter 3. And reading from verse 1. Says this Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat in the tree, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And this is the fall of man. This is where Eve sees the fruit, that she sees that it's desirable. So she takes it off the tree. She takes a bite. She gives Adam a bite as well, and he eats it. 
And we know this as the fall of man. This is when sin entered into humanity. And they realized that they were naked and they felt ashamed and they, they covered themselves with fig leaves. And, and God comes looking for them and, and realizes, what have you done? They've broken, they've broken his commands. They've disobeyed him. And in verse 22, it says this, The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord, Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And so Adam and Eve had eaten from the tree of knowledge and fell into sin. But why wouldn't God let them eat from the tree of life? Wouldn't that just, wouldn't that just fix the problem? You know, I believe that God never wanted us to live for eternity in a, in a broken relationship with him or out of relationship with him. God chose to disallow mankind to live forever in a state of sin because that would mean mankind would forever be trying to hide from God. But that's why Jesus came, amen? Jesus came to restore eternal life and relationship with the Father. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And if you're new to church today, that's the heart of the gospel message there. And we're going to explore that a little bit more later on. Okay, so God banished, his, banished Adam and Eve from the Garden of Eden because he didn't want them to eat from the tree of life. And we've got these two trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, We've got the tree of life. And I want to characterize in this allegory, what do these two trees mean? What can we learn from these two trees? And how does it reflect upon our lives? And so we'll start with the tree of life. What do we know about the tree of life? Well, we know that by eating from the tree of life, will ensure eternal life. That's what we just read in Genesis 3.22. God says, if they eat of the, the tree of life, then they'll have eternal life. Apart from that, we actually don't know much more about the tree of life. It's, it's mentioned in Revelation. It's mentioned in Ezekiel. It's mentioned that we'll eat it in heaven. And we can only assume that perhaps Adam and Eve ate it before the fall, before uh, they fell into sin, but they most certainly didn't eat it afterwards. And that's all we know about the tree of life. But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we know a few things. We know that it will lead to death. We know that eating its fruit will separate us from God, just as it did for Adam and Eve when they ate it. And we know that eating its fruit will develop a conscience, a conscience of knowing good and evil, being able to discern what is good and what is evil. And it's a bit of a weird consequence, but what is the result of that? Now that Adam and Eve could understand the difference between good and evil, what are some of the consequences? Well, they realized that, that they were human and that they were naked and that they felt ashamed and that they didn't need God or they th thought that they didn't need God. In their fleshly thinking, it was like, we, we feel naked. It's not like, oh God, what do I do about this? It's, oh, I'll get some fig leaves and I'll try and fix this myself. The consequence of man knowing both good and evil is that we elevate ourselves to a status of a judge to be able to decide uh, that's not right and that is right. It's, you know, that's actually fundamentally God's role. God is our judge. The third thing that 
knowing good and evil does is it creates a spectrum of belief across humanity that inevitably leads to disagreements, arguments, retribution, and even war. People are going to disagree. And as that can escalate, it can turn into horrible, horrible things. And the fourth thing is this, knowing both good and evil actually aligns the fleshly heart of man with the devil rather than our hearts with God. So that's some of the consequences of Adam and Eve eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And our world dictates to us that good and evil are diametrically opposite to each other. We polarize that something is either good or bad or evil. But I actually want to propose a third alternative this morning. And that third alternative is life. It can be good, it can be bad, or it can be godly. Life. God wants us to live by the tree of life. You see, you, you might say that uh, what you say, sorry, might be from a knowledge and understanding of good, but that doesn't mean it actually has life. You see, if it doesn't have life, then by default it actually has death. Let me give some examples where we can be good, bad, or godly. Just imagine you have an issue with somebody. And they might have wronged you, whether they did it on purpose or did it unknowingly, doesn't matter. But they have wronged you and you are hurt. And a bad response is our flesh that screams out and wants to go and take revenge and do back to them what they did to me because they deserve to be put in their place and you go out and do it. As Christians, I'd like to think that we all know that that's a bad response and we're not going to be doing that. But a good response might be to go... I'm not going to say anything. I'm not, going to, I'm not going to take revenge. I'm not going to raise my voice. But inside, I am burning. Inside, there's an internal monologue that just, all the things I wish I could do to them to get back to them, but because I'm a good Christian, I'm not going to do it. That's a good response because they don't, they don't see any, any response from you. But a godly response A godly response seeks to mend the relationship, to bring about forgiveness, to bring about reconciliation. Another example, imagine you're in business with somebody and your business partner stole from your company and fled, leaving you a big financial loss. And you have to deal with all the problems that that comes as a result of that. And again, a bad response would be to try to take matters into your own hands, to take revenge on them, to do to them what they did to you. Because what they did isn't right, and it isn't. And a godly response might be to go through some sort of legal proceedings and, and sort it out in, in a legal way and never actually address the person, never raise the issue with them. The, the relationship is, is too far gone. The relationship cannot be mended. But again, there's this internal monologue that's perhaps a little bit more fierce. But a godly response, a godly response, and as hard as this might be, a godly response is to forgive, to drop the charge, even though they don't deserve it. Many of us would be familiar with Jesus in in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, "Do uh, do we take a tooth for a tooth? As in, do we take revenge for what other people have done to us? Jesus says, no, 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 from now on, we're going to live a different way. We're going to, we're going to turn the other cheek. 
when we're asked to, uh, or when we're being sued and they take the shirt off our back, you know what? We're going to give them our coat as well. When a soldier comes and asks us to carry his, his gear for one mile, you know what? We're going to go the extra mile. And so this is the godly living, the life-giving living that I believe the tree of life represents. You know, I, I can remember, I know of a family, a fantastic Christian family, and uh, the father has an absolute heart of gold, and he's one of many children. And has, as his adopted mother was in her older years, he was doing a lot of the practical care for her, you know, cleaning the house or cleaning the yard and, and bits and pieces like that. And unfortunately, his siblings, who are not saved, um, conspired against him and, and got him written out of the will. So he did all the hard work, and he got no inheritance. And I've, I've listened to this family and, and he- heard what they've got to say, and yeah, it hurts. And there might be a part, I'm sure, where you just want to take revenge. But you know, the father, he has such a sweet spirit. To him, it is so important that he has a relationship with his siblings, even though they've done the wrong thing. He always wants to pursue mending that relationship. He harbors no unforgiveness in their lives. And it's such an example to me. It's such an inspiration to me that despite being shortchanged in such a big way, he still keeps a soft heart towards his, his siblings. Now, these stories and scenarios demonstrate an outworking of what it means to live by the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But what about our inner workings? You see, two people can have the same outward response to the same situation, yet they are living by different trees. The outward appearance can look exactly the same. However, the inward motivation can be completely different. See, I can remember times when I've been falsely accused, misrepresented, and even shortchanged. And I'm sure you can too. My question is, is how do you respond? Do you get irate and upset? Do you seek retribution? Or do you remain silent and take no outward action, but inside your eternal monologue is screaming down curses upon them? Do you forgive them and move on, letting go excuse me, of the offense by God's grace? And I hope you can see this morning that I want to tackle what's going on in the inside. It's what's the internal monologue that we we go through that determines whether we're just doing good or whether we're doing life, being life-giving. The motivation and heart behind behind the response determines which tree you're in. And just because it is right doesn't mean that it is life. Let me say that again. Just because it is right doesn't mean that it is life. And so now God gives us this choice regarding this allegory. Which tree are you living by? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil or the tree of life? Another way I might pose this same question to you is like this. What is the perpetual motivation and heart behind your life? Are you seeking to do what's good Or are you seeking to do what is godly? And many of you know that being good isn't what cuts it with God. There are many good people in the world who unfortunately will still go to hell. God wants us to live by the tree of life. And there's a great example of this in John chapter 8. So I want you to get your Bibles one more time. We're going to turn to John chapter 8. And this is the story of the adulterous woman. 
John chapter 8 from verse 2 says this. Early in the morning he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, placing her in the midst. They said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, in, now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Many of us who have been Christians for a long time would like to think that we're like Jesus. But the honest truth is that even if it's a little bit, or at least I can only talk for myself, there's a bit of me that's a bit like the Pharisees who wants to judge. And you might, you might not be so into the legalism that you can't outwardly express, but what I'm talking about is in the heart. You see, we like to see grace over our, our own lives, but applying God's grace to other people, sometimes something we might struggle with. When it comes to other people, can you readily point out their faults, whether they're big or small? And you might be even right about what other people's faults are, but is that from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, or is that from the tree of life? Are you being good or bad or godly? I know this sounds really sad and incredibly crazy, but I actually met somebody once who believed that they had the spiritual gift of criticism. Interesting conversations and emails and long emails. They actually believed that God had specially appointed them to criticize the church, to tell the pastor what he was doing wrong, to tell the worship leader what they were doing wrong, to tell the board what they were doing wrong. He felt that that was his special gift from God to tell other people. How disappointing. I hope he has a revelation of grace. I hope, I hope, I hope. I pray he has a revelation of grace. And that his heart is turned to be one that, look, he, I know his intention is good. He wants things to be better. He, think, he, wants, the, he wants things to be better and, and the church to grow. But when you're criticizing, is that just good or is it godly? I'll tell you what, I don't think it's godly. It's not godly. You might have a legitimate criticism against somebody. You might say, you know, that pastor, he shouldn't have treated those people that way. He needs to be put in his place. And you know what, the pastor, he might be sincerely apologetic. But, I have, but the question I have for you when you make those sorts of accusations is, is your criticism good or is it godly? We should be asking ourselves in every situation, in every response, even in every thought, is my motivation, is my motivation good, bad or godly? And you might be hearing this message and you might be struggling with the difference between what this means and thinking, aren't they the same thing? And here's where I want to draw a bit of a final line to help you gauge which tree are you living by. So firstly, what will draw us to live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? 
The first thing is pride. And pride is the devil's initial sin because he considered himself higher than God. And I can respond in a good way, but actually my motivation might be pride. I'm going to pick on Chris for a second. Imagine, this wouldn't happen, but just imagine Pastor Chris said something to me that really hurt me. And being the good man of God that I am, I go, Chris, I forgive you. You don't deserve my forgiveness, but I forgive you. You know what? That's motivated by pride. That's by me saying, I'm better than him. I am better than him. I'm going to forgive him because, well, the Bible says I have to. But that is motivated by pride to think that I'm going to forgive Chris because I'm better than him. That's living from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. The second characteristic of what will draw us to live by the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is guilt. And guilt is the immediate response from Eve when she ate the fruit. And she tried to relieve her guilt by offering it to Adam also. And so I can respond in a good way, but my motivation for it can simply be guilt. I can give my tithe so that I don't feel guilty. I can tell the truth so I don't feel guilty. I can stop slandering somebody or stop gossiping about somebody because I know that if I do, I'm going to feel guilty and I don't want to feel guilty. Can I just say, church, I think that's the wrong motivation. That's the wrong motivation for why we should or shouldn't do something. The reason is is that the enemy can leverage that against us. Just like he leveraged it against Eve to then take the apple to Adam, the enemy can leverage guilt, if guilt is your motivation, against you. So that's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But what about the tree of life? What will cause us to live by the tree of life? Well, if the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is pride, the opposite of pride is humility. And when we forgive somebody out of humility, you're living by the tree of life. Back to Chris. If I go, Chris, I forgive you. The reason I forgive you is that actually God forgave me. I'm not worthy of what God did for me. I'm not worthy of his forgiveness, but he still does it. And who am I to withhold forgiveness from Pastor Chris? And right there's an example of how we can live by the tree of life, where our motivation is humility. And we go, God, I don't deserve what you've given me. Who am I to withhold it from other people? Does that make sense, church? Second one is this. If the tree of knowledge of good and evil is guilt, what will cause us to live by the tree of life is innocence. Innocence is a childlike characteristic. I don't know about you, but as an adult, as I get older, my wrestle, the tension in my life is to stop being like an adult and maybe be a bit more childlike in my faith, Child, childlike in, in the way I think and respond. If you respond to people out of innocence, then you won't be looking for areas to be offended or opportunities to look down on other people. When people are sarcastic or horrible or mean, choose to be childlike. Choose to, be, choose to assume that they said something nice. I love it when... Um, I mean, my nieces are a little bit older now, but uh, particularly, you, you know this if you've got young kids, they do listen, but they don't listen at the same time. There's things that you could just talk about and they just, they just don't hear. And particularly my eldest niece, um, I remember she she's quite, quite the, has quite the imagination and you could be talking to her and she's off thinking about butterflies or I don't know what. 
but childlike, to be childlike, to, to not allow offense to stick to us. God doesn't want us to merely live good lives because when we live there, we cannot help but slip back into an evil life also. You see, the good and evil, they come in the same package. And here's the trap. Here's the trap right here. It's possible for you to start living by the tree of life and inadvertently swap over to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. See, living by the tree of life needs to be reflected in the way we respond to situations and the way we behave and what we think and say. And I can appeal to your intellect this morning to be mindful about which tree am I living in? Which tree am I living in? But ultimately, it's a work of the Spirit. This is a work of the Spirit that we need to be open to. See, God will always forgive us when we slip back into the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But we need His Spirit. We need to be open to His Holy Spirit to adjust us, to bring us back into the tree of life. That's where He wants us to be. God put the tree of life in the garden because His original intention was for man to eat of it. His intention all along was for us to live by the tree of life. The knowledge of good and evil and living at that level was never what he intended. And so today I hope you can see as I encourage you to to choose to go, God, help me not to live under the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but to live under the tree of life. The thing about it is, is that you can't apply this way of thinking to other people. You can't judge another person by going, their motivation is from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, not from the tree of life. That is not a call that I can make. It is not a call that you can make. What we need to do is to bring it before God. We need to ask him to help us to keep it, to to, to help us to stay in the tree of life. Now, I can't tell you what your motivations are. I can't say whether your motivations are good or, or bad or godly. But I hope you can. And if you're not sure, I guarantee God can. I guarantee God can. And if we bring it before God, I believe that he can do that work within us. He wants us to live the godly life. He wants us to be in a relationship with him. He wants us to choose the tree of life and not the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And this morning, church, I pray that that would be your prayer. How about we stand this morning? I want us to pray. I'll ask the team to come back up. Thanks. Let's pray. If this is you this morning, just lift your hands. Father, I pray, Lord God, that in every facet of our lives, that we would yield our motivation to you. Lord, help us to live out of humility and innocence, a childlike faith, Lord God where we are not judgmental, where we're not looking for the good and bad, Lord, in every situation, but where we're looking for where we can be life-giving. Lord, we understand that this is a work that we, we can't intellectualize, so we yield it to your Spirit. And Father, with our hands raised today, Lord, as we offer ourselves to you again, I pray that you would help us to yield our spirits and then that your Holy Spirit would do his good work in each of our lives. Holy Spirit, come. 
Holy Spirit, come and do your good work in our lives. We choose the tree of life this morning. We choose the tree of life this morning. Lord, we don't want to just merely be good. We want to be godly. We want to be life-giving. pray in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from the North Shore Christian Centre Audio Lounge. We invite you to visit us online at www.nscc.org.au. Through our website, you can keep up to date with what's happening in the life of our church in Chatswood, New South Wales, as well as accessing other free resource materials. 